We have been going through, as you are well aware, if you've been in Sunday school for the past several weeks, going through core values that we have at this church or that we want to make sure we have at this church, um, finishing up one to today and then the final one next week will be on our 10th one. But today we're going to talk about just others and we want to be an others focused or an others first church. I'll explain some of that in more detail as we go through this. Uh, but anyway, I'm glad you're here this Sunday morning to be in service with us. Let me begin by saying some of you in this class are well aware of this, but raising kids can be tough. We often say it's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> but it's amazing the things you must teach and the things that seem to come so naturally to children. I, I do understand that sometimes we accidentally teach things to children, some bad behaviors. I remember talking to a guy one time, and he, he could not figure out why his son was acting like this. And I was just looking at him like, I wanted to hold a mirror up for it. He's, exa he's acting exactly like you. So sometimes we're clueless, and we're mimicking and modeling things that we're not sure that we, we don't even know we're doing. And so there's sometimes unwanted behavior. But since this isn't a child-rearing class, I'm going to not get stuck in the weeds there and get bogged down. But there is one thing I think that comes inherently to human nature. We, I don't know if we have to teach this. It almost seems like it's, like it's there from the very beginning. Let, let, me, let me pause on that. Let me back up a second and say, uh, let, let me use an example Follow along here. I'll tie this together. But let me use an example like fear. Fear is an emotion, it's a, it's a, and it's not a bad thing. We need to have certain feelings of fear that keeps us protected. We need to have fear of a little bit of heights to a degree so we just don't go run into the edge of something and fall off. We need to have some inherent fear of some things. And and it helps preserve us. Fear will kick adrenaline in and will the fight or flight mechanism when we will be able to um, almost superhuman strength. You, you've heard of the moms who've lifted cars off of their babies that fell, so, that fear came and, and adrenaline kicked in. And, and so there, or people can run or do certain things and that's because of fear. But we understand that if fear goes left unchecked, obviously it can get into a, uh, an area of danger or an individual which can lead to panic attacks, which lead, can lead to high anxiety. And so fear is not a bad thing if it's the normal, natural, what's, what's supposed to be in the human nature. But if it's taken to an nth degree, and the Bible even talks about a spirit of fear and things that, that are stretched way over here, that's where... It can, it can be bad. So saying all of that, I believe the same thing can be said about being selfish. As soon as you hear the word selfishness or something, we recoil because, again, we determine that that's a bad thing. That's an evil thing. That's a, that's a, that's a wrong thing. And, 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 yes, it can be. Maybe I need to use a different word, and I couldn't think of one for the moment or, or when I was studying this. But if, if, if you've heard me speak very often at all, you will know that I am very much in favor of boundaries, setting boundaries. 
And I believe that's for self-preservation. I believe that's to become a better person, to become a good steward of the body God has given us. But some people, as soon as they think of a boundary, they think it's being selfish. To say to someone, no, I'm not able to make 13 dozen cookies by tomorrow morning. They would never say that because that's selfish. Of course, if someone asks you to do something, you do it. And so they don't have a boundary there. Some would never say that because they're very selfish. Others would say, you know, someone say, can you, can you hold that door while I carry this trash out? No, I'm not able to do that. Now, to me, that's selfish. It's like hold the door open. So there's this balance of this. To me, one is very selfish and the other is protecting ourselves. And so trying to find these balances of things, I think, is vitally important Again, I have this stuff in my head, and I hope I'm trying to get it out just a little bit to you. Maybe, maybe more, one more run at this before we delve into the lesson and to set, up, to set this up a little bit. Um, are you setting boundaries? If I ask that question, are you setting boundaries and saying no out of being selfish? Is it all about you and all about your desires and all about your time and all about your wants and all about your needs and all about your preferences and all about your opinions? Or are you saying no because you honestly don't have the time or you have already given too much and it will wear you down or you'll be emotionally drained? And I, again, I believe there's a big difference when it comes to that. So when we started this out, I started talking about raising kids is hard and then we got clear to here. But so we started out saying, talking about children, I think one of the inherent traits of humanity, and this is what all that stuff is leading up to, is that of being selfish. It may start out okay as a self-preservation, but then it goes sometimes, and if it's left unchecked, it can run off the rails very, very easily. Therefore, let me say, that as human beings, we are probably naturally self-centered. You've raised the babies. You've been around the babies. When they get about two, everything's mine. They have a 10-gallon pitcher of Kool-Aid. I do it. I do it. It's like, no, you're not doing it. And then they throw a fit because they can't do it. Why? It's all about them. Egocentric, that's who they are. That's, it's all the world revolves around them. And we understand that as a child, but sometimes I'm, I think we mask it better as adults, but I think, think sometimes we've got to be careful that we are not so self-centered the world revolves around us. The world revolves around me. Does not even the Bible say, love your neighbor as who? So I think even the word of God is telling us, and in another place it says, in humility, these are, these are directions, in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Why does it have to say that? Because the word of God knows that I'm going to consider myself before I consider a whole lot of people. I'm going to make sure my needs are met before anybody else's needs are met. That's how normally we are as a human nature. So again, I'll, I'll say our sinful nature, our human nature, our humanity, if it's left unchecked, we can so easily become preoccupied with our own needs. 
One more time, is that a bad thing? No, I think you need to care for yourself. I think you need to take breaks. I need, think you need to take have rest. I think all of those things are important. But again, if left unchecked, we can be way out here somewhere and be very, very selfish and self-centered people. That's why looking at this next value today is somewhat can be an uphill battle for some of us or maybe many of us. We, we are and, and want to be and strive to be an other's first church. That is one of our values here. Again, it's not always easy. I'll admit it doesn't seem to come naturally. And before we get too far in this, I think we are good in some areas. Because again, if I say, well, no, I'm, I'm all right in that. Well, I'll absolutely hold the door for people. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let someone cut in line at the store if they're in a hurry, and I can tell, as long as you're not in a hurry, but oh, absolutely. We'll let them cut in line. I let even people merge in traffic when they should have merged way back there where everybody else had to merge. I let them merge. Good. But maybe I'm a little more concerned about where I'm going to eat for Thanksgiving and what I'm going to eat for Thanksgiving and how long of a nap I'm going to take after the serotonin hits from the turkey. Maybe I'm concerned about that, and, and that's good, that's fun, that's exciting. We, maybe we all have plans and thankful for that, but, it, it, but it, did it cross my mind that maybe someone doesn't even have a place to go for Thanksgiving? Well, yeah, it's family tradition. Okay. Maybe your family's selfish. Okay. I'm talking to myself, ladies and gentlemen. This is a tough lesson for me because I can get my whole world wrapped up in me very, very quickly. Focused and driven and doing this and doing that. Now, I think if we're going to be honest... We have to answer the questions for ourselves. You, you know Jesus and, and you enjoy the blessings of living for him and how exciting and an abundant life you have serving Jesus. The person checking you out in the grocery store may not have that. So are you gonna share that or are you gonna hold that to yourself? Sometimes we think about this in, in, in just certain contexts of, no, I don't think I'm a selfish person, but I, I'm talking about just inherently in all that we do, are we others first? Do we set things up for others? Do we do things for others? Or do we do it about for my comfort and what I want and my feelings and because I don't want rejected, and it's my comfort. The more I looked at this and the more I studied this out for this lesson and dug into this, I have a long, long, long way to go to be like Jesus. I'll just admit that standing here. I have a long way to go to truly be others first in many areas of my life. I get it in some areas, but other areas, not so much. It's very simple, the concept, but it's not easy. 
And again, don't overcomplicate this. Sometimes, well, I think it means this and some mystical and hidden meaning here and all that. No, it means you focus on other people first before yourself. It's, there's not a lot to this. Here's our key verse that we use, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let, let me say that again in some other translations. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Another one says, don't be selfish. <laughs> don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Again, not a lot of hidden meaning here. Pretty direct things from the word of God that's speaking to us. Practical? You want practical? <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. Giving your seat up when church gets too crowded? You may have to stand somewhere. Well, is it others first or is it about you and your comfort? Watching the babies in nursery so mom can have some reprieve and enjoy service? I don't know. Running a camera so people around the globe can enjoy service and hear the gospel? They're going to enjoy service much more than you're going to enjoy it sitting in this very building because while you're focused, you've got the ear things on people in the back screaming, camera two, take camera two, shot camera two. No, I said camera three. And that, that, you can't imagine what happens in their ears. The whole service long. Cleaning up something even though you didn't mess it up. Cheering someone on even when they got your solo. <laughs> Helping your brother or sister clean her room so they don't get in trouble. Hmm. Taking the trash out without having to be asked. Picking someone up for church. Asking someone how they're doing without focusing on yourself. On and on and on. Folks, I don't mean to insult your intelligence in any way. But there are so many ways that we can be others first. We just maybe need to be intentional on how to do it in ways that aren't so convenient, that aren't so flashy, that aren't so fun. There's a little book. I don't have this book. I want to get it because I've heard about it, and I read a little excerpt from it. It's called The Hidden Art of Homemaking. <laughs> yes, Janelle's a slave. I need that book. You know, no, The Hidden Art of Homemaking by Edith Schaefer. The title may throw you off a little bit, but it's, it's for everybody. And, and what it does is it just, the book, they say that the premise of the book is how everyday activities can become God-honoring ex and expressions of being like Jesus. Just things that we naturally do every single day. How can we do those to honor God? It's what this book is about. And there's a quote that Mrs. Schaefer made in this book towards the end of the book. And it says, and I want, this is where I want to tag on for a little bit on this lesson. She reads, she, she, she states, and I quote, we produce the environment other people have to live in. We produce the environment other people have to live in. Edith's a good preacher. 
Because that's a powerful thing if you let it resonate in your mind. My behavior has a definite effect on people around me. It's simple, but it is so powerful. As when we, I hope you can get this and grasp this as we go through this. My, my behavior can positively add good to another person's life. How? By the way I act, by my attitude, by the values, I've, the things that I value. It creates an environment that other people have to live in. I guess we can say then nothing we do is neutral. People always say that, you know, I, well, I don't care. They don't, they don't have to pay attention to me. Tough, you're alive. Somebody's paying attention to you. Well, you're just, no, no man is an island. You are affecting people around you every single day. There's an example in this little book. It was about a coworker that's always, that was always complaining, just constantly, just everything about work, griping about this, griping about that. And Mrs. Schaefer asked in this book, she said, after talking with such a person, do you ever feel motivated in your own work? I'm gonna say the answer is no. Why? Because you're around somebody that this is terrible and that's terrible and the boss is an idiot and we don't get paid enough. Well, you listen to that for very long and you know what? You're gonna believe that too. Don't tell me you don't affect the environment around you. You absolutely do. The same is true, though, about people that are happy and joyful and are pleasant and are motivated. The church is made up of people. And if people act kindly towards others, if people esteem others better than themselves, if people take interest in others, what a pleasant environment to come into. Because we are an others first church. Why is it important to know that our behavior affects other people? Affects other people because if I truly know that, it becomes easier and more natural, and I become more intentional on being others first. Think about it, okay? If I'm aware that moment by moment. I'm having an impact on someone else's life. Whether I want to accept that or not, whether I think it's true or not, I believe it's very true. Every moment by moment I'm having an effect on someone's life, that knowledge causes me to start asking, what kind of an environment am I creating for this other person right now? What kind of environment am I creating? If you're selfish, I'll tell you right now, you don't care because it's not about them. It's about making sure you're happy and make sure your needs are met and make sure you're okay. But if people who have been born again as a church who wants to represent Jesus very well, the type of environment we want should be very, very clear. We want a Christ-centered environment, one that glorifies God, one that is holy and beautiful, one where people feel loved and at peace. If we could truly grasp the concept that we are continuously creating the environment that other people live in, we can start by being proactive and intentional on shaping that environment. 
teenagers that are in here, thank you for joining us. I cannot even begin to tell you how much you affect your parents. You think your parents affect you, and they absolutely do, but I cannot even begin to tell you how much you infect, affect the environment in your household. You have influence to affect the environment. Dad and mom, obviously the same. You have influence. Husband and wife, same. Employer, employee, you have influence. Teacher, student, influence. Young, old, you have influence. There are more people in the world than just me. I affect far more people and environments than I realize, and so do you. So again, this realization of this, that I literally affect the environments that I walk into, it goes beyond, yeah, there are others that, and I, and that I can have an impact on. It goes to the role of as a Christian, it should be, am I creating, as a Christian, am I creating an environment where people can know Jesus and sense his presence and sense his love? Is that the environment I'm creating? Or is the environment I'm creating, oh dear God, here he comes again. Is that the environment I'm creating? Let me give you an example. There are so many people, precious, precious people from this church who have gone on to see Jesus already and I, I miss them terribly. But, but let me just pick one this morning. And let me pick Brother Terry Gunn. To me... He exemplified this. I would see his name come up on my caller ID and I would break my finger to try to get it slid over to answer that phone call. Why? Because I don't care what he needed or what he needed to tell me or if he needed to even ask me for something. It didn't matter what it was. By the time I got off the phone from him, I wasn't convinced that I wasn't an angel. You know, I don't know. I just, I wasn't convinced that I need to slow down or I would be immediately translated to glory. I, 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 he changed every environment he walked into for the better. Even a phone call with him was fascinating. Because no matter if he needed something or again wanted to tell me, it didn't matter before it was over, he was talking about me. And that he was the president of my fan club. And that there was no better preacher and teacher. And that he was a little delusional and lied sometimes. But we let him do it. No, he encouraged. It wasn't about him. It was about making sure you're okay. It was about changing the environment to making sure you're, you feel special. He was a Christian. He was like Jesus. So let me be very candid and honest with us and asking again, how do we affect the environment that we walk into? Tony Evans describes the average church member's attitude. Preach to me, <laughs> sing to me, usher me, but don't bother me. If that description hits home at all, we must... <laughs> Remember that Jesus' disciples, they were not spectators. They were servants. 
Do you have a place to serve? Do you have a place to give back what God has given to you? Do you have a place and a way to pay it forward, can we say? Serving others and making sure others are okay and not coming to church just by just for myself. And again, balance this. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we're worn out. Sometimes, yes, we need a reprieve. And I get all that stuff, but folks, it can't last for 57 years. And I don't come to church just for me and what I can get, but can I help somebody else? I, I saw this one time, and if, if this were a white handkerchief, it would be better, but I saw this. It says, Brother Terry Shock was here doing it. He said, do you come to church like this? Or he said, do you come to church like this? One of the most powerful illustrations I've ever seen in my life. I come to church, feed me. Tell me what I want, and then leave me alone. Or do I come to church, how are you hurting? Can I help you? What do you need? How can I serve? Let me spin this out even more, though. If we are working to be an other's first church, again, that means church is made of people. That means the people have to be others first. And that's not just in the building. I love that little saying that sometimes it kind of gets, I think it's used as kind of a little joke, but it's something like at dismissal, you know, people say, they would say something like, the church has left the building. What do they mean? The church is still here. No, we call the building the church. I get all that. But the church, the hands and the arms and legs, the hands and feet of God, they have left the building. They're now going out to be the church. And do we do that just in the church? And that's good, and I'm glad we serve. We have so many volunteers that make a, a, a service going. I, I walked through the building this morning, and there were, there were meetings early this morning all over this building, people talking about stuff and people ministering. And then there were practices in here, and then the Sunday school teachers were, were prepping all week, and all of these things, wonderful things all over this building. So they're giving and giving and giving, and that is fantastic. And thank God, and I applaud and give high honor to all those people who make the sanctuary operate, but let me take this one step further. It's not just about the sanctuary operating good. It's about being the church out there too. It's about being others first also. There are so many hurting people these days, both inside the church, but also outside the church. Well, it's important to serve and minister here. Yes, we cannot neglect to serve and minister out there. Jesus' own example was to minister to the disciples while he was ministering to others. Ministry should not be an either or. Well, I'm busy. I do this, 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 and 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 this at the church. Well, stop doing all these this, and this, and this, and this, and go out there and help somebody. It doesn't have to be an either or. It could be an and both. Can I minister in here? Yes, but should I be ministering out there? Yes, because it's others first. We're called to serve the Lord whenever and wherever he gives us the opportunity. Don't turn off your opportunity radar because we have left the walls of the building. Jesus did not restrict his ministry to a building, neither should we. I told this story a long, long time ago, and you probably don't remember it, and I probably shouldn't tell it anyway, but I'll tell it again since I told it once. Though. 
I had a friend, he worked at a restaurant, and he, a young guy, and he was working there, and he said he had all these co-workers and stuff, and he, he was, he, he came to an apostolic church, and he was raised in church, and his co-workers, all, he was talking to him stuff, all of a sudden, <laughs> some of his co-workers were like, oh, great. They were looking towards the door, and they go, here come the bunheads. And he was like, what? And here come the bunheads. And he's like, what do you, what do you mean the bunheads? It was obviously Pentecostal people walked in there, and he looked at him and said, what? He said, I'm a bunhead. And then he said, no. He said, yes. He said, why did you say it like that? He said, because these people, they come in here usually after church. And they're rude and demanding, and they're cheap. They don't leave a tip. I hope they don't invite those people to church. Why would you say that? Because how could you do that and then invite people to church? This ain't about us, folks. This is about shining your light. This is about creating an environment to where they feel Jesus. Creating an environment to where it's, it's, it's God-centered. We're called to be like him everywhere, every day, in every way we possibly can. Let, let me share with you something. Again, very, very much easier said than done, but it will tremendously help us to become others first. And so let me, let me take a minute and talk about this. this. There's something called empathy. I don't want to get too far in the weeds with this, but let me oversimplify the word a little bit. It's just being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes the best that you can. It's just being able to feel what they're feeling. You've probably heard of IQ, intelligent quotient. That's pretty static from birth. They said that you can adjust it by maybe a point or two by certain training. But your IQ is just your intelligence, how, how smart you are and, and all of that. It's pretty stable. But they've done research on EQ, which is your emotional quotient, which can vary greatly. It is not static. And, and this can be increased. And this, this research on this topic and how it affects us in so many ways, it affects you much more than your IQ ever affected you okay your emotional quotient has a lot to do with your ability to empathize and here's how let me just give you a little teaching point here's how you can help this and in, in your in your children and they they would do research on very highly successful people and they have high emotional quotients and so you teach this to your children one time, me and Skyler were going down the road, and there was this little boy. He was on, there was this little park, little bitty park by our old house in our neighborhood, and just had some swings and a slide. And this little boy was by himself swinging. And so I started talking to Skyler, and I said, he was a little guy, and I said, I said, look at that little boy over there. He goes, uh huh. I said, he's swinging all by himself. Yeah. And so I asked him, I said, how do you think he feels? It's simple. That's all you have to do. How do you think he feels? Well, and he started with this whole story about how, you know, he has friends and they were here, but they had to go home for supper. And I said, oh, okay. I said, so he's, he's happy. Yeah, he's going to go home for supper too. And 
he made up this whole, which was fine. All you were simple, all I was simply doing, all you can simply do is simply get someone to think, how does someone else feel? Hmm. Easier said than done. How does it feel me up here? On a Sunday morning while you all are sitting there. Some people forgot how it felt. We'll carry on, but how does it feel? And that emotional quotient. Can I say it's a learning again? Just how to think, what are, what are other people going through? What are other people feeling? Let, let me read this story, okay? The, about tar, concerning this. The man wrote, he wrote, years ago, I was in a very difficult dialogue with a subcontractor. He said, I was so upset with him, and he was upset with me. He said, the conversation, you can imagine, was going nowhere. He said, but in a moment of clarity, I paused my feelings, my thoughts, my aggravation, and asked myself, I wonder what it feels like to be him. How must it feel to be confronted by me in this moment? What pressures and anxieties should I be, should I be experiencing if, if I were on the other end of the line and I was hearing contractor called me and I was subcontracting to him and he was just giving me the what for. And so he thought, he paused and said, I took my emotions out of this. What must that guy be feeling? The guy continued and said, the next words out of my mouth changed the tone of the conversation instantly. He said, if I'm in your shoes, I, I bet this is hard. <laughs> Does not the Bible say a soft answer turns away wrath? He said, I'm guessing it's very frustrating talking through this with me. I'm sorry that this is so hard. I get why it would be. The guy on the other end, his voice softened. And for the next few minutes, they had an actual dialogue for the first time in a conversation. Because what happened? The guy paused long enough to feel what the other man was feeling and then expressed back, in genuine sincerity. And in an instant, everything changed. Brother Bland, I thought this is not a general psych class. This is a poor. I'm telling you, this is spiritual stuff, folks. Learning to get in someone else's shoes and empathize with them. This is not about you. How can I bring to the environment? Jesus. So what do we do in those cases? We have opportunities everywhere and every day. Let, let me read you another verse that needs to keep in the forefront of our minds. James 4, 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and to him that doeth it not to him it's what? Yeah, that verse. Why James have to write that thing in there? I know not to yell at people. I know not to do this or that, and I, you know, but do I ever put myself in their shoes? The Bible tells us don't be selfish. Humble yourselves. 
Look out for other people. The Bible says to love one another. The Bible even says love your enemies. The Bible says forgive. And we're not just looking for positive interactions here so everybody thinks I'm cool. He's such a nice guy. I want them to see Jesus is what I want them to see. They can't see Jesus with my mouth running, yelling at them. They can't see Jesus when it's got to be my way or the highway. Yes, I'm going to have my own altar call, trust me, because that's how I, that's my MO. What's it like to come into a new building and not know anyone? What, what's that like? Have, have you ever walked? I walked in, I had to go, I, I had to go pick something up one time. I went downtown and all those buildings are just big warehouses. And you're like, well, it's going to be, I don't know what's going to happen. Revival or riot down here. You just never know downtown. So I just, I thought I had the right address and I, just this big open door and I, I couldn't see an entrance. There was no welcome. There was no, so I just went in there. My motto too is if you don't, when in doubt, act like you own the place. So I did. You just walk in there like, I'm supposed to be here. And I rounded a corner and a group of guys that were working in the, in the factory or in the, in, the, in the warehouse there, they were all eating lunch. And they all looked at me like, I said, hey. I mean, I didn't think that if I was a police and drug bust back here, I didn't know what I was walking into, but they were just looking at me. And I said, I'm here to pick something up. They go, oh, you need to go outside and go down around the corner, and there's a step, set of steps, and go up those steps. I mean, it was like, I thought it was in an escape room is what I thought it was in because it was all these complicated things. And I finally got upstairs, and they, I got what I needed, and I'm here today, so I was, everything's okay. I didn't buy anything off of them. Anyway, so I was here, so I'm here. But you know what would have helped? In that case, I felt so awkward and so out of place and so unwelcomed and so I'm not sure they wanted me to buy a product from them. I know those guys didn't because they may have had to get up and get it. I don't know what the problem was back there, but it was unbelievable. You know how that feels. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. When they walk in this building, what do they feel like? Well, I don't know. Yes, you do. That's the thing. Yes, we do. What's it like to stand there all day and interact with the public and some not being very kind to you to help serve you at a restaurant or the grocery store or the department store or the DMV? How about that one? What's it like being that worker? They didn't make the rules. I'm sorry, you don't have, you need your six birth certificates. You need this stamped, this notarized, and this. And your receipt from when you were born. Yes, you need all those things. They didn't make the rules. And so you're like, oh yeah, bring it on. Well, they didn't, what are they supposed to do? Get fired? Maybe if I thought, what would it be like to get behind that counter, to have to deal with more. I probably would change how I interact. 
probably would do something different. What, what does your child feel like when they messed up again? You come stomping down the hallway. I don't know if my ratios are right because I'm not real good with math. Aren't you glad I run the money here? But I'm not real good with math. So I remembered back when Skyler was just, he's a little guy, my son, and I put his ratio to me. I don't know if I did it right. But at that time, it would, me compared to him, would be, I think it was a 15 foot, 1,250 pound person. Okay. Let's picture a 15 foot, 1,250 pound person looking down saying, do it again. I ain't doing it again. Whatever it is, that would scare the fight. That's what you look like to your child. Is there a better? Oh, there's lots of better ways. What does your child feel like? (laughs) You were a teenager. What's that feel like? So again, I, I don't mean to not be spiritual, but I don't mean to oversimplify stuff either. But folks, this is not, it, it's a simple concept. It's just hard to do. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in a sword and shield. Death and life. Cannons and jets. No. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can speak life to someone today. Or you can destroy someone today. When something isn't right and you do have to go to the store and return that item. You do have to address something because it's bad craftsmanship. You do have to confront the issue and not just get walked all over. I'm not saying just ignore everything, but I'm asking us as children of God, think for just a moment Flip the tables, what would it feel like for me, for them to have to address me on shoddy workmanship? For them to have to address me that this is bad and I don't want to pay for this. What if you were lost, floundering in darkness, your life in absolute chaos and ruins? What would you want someone with the light, with the answer, and with what what they need, what would you want them to do? Picture the environment where you walk into and people are wondering if you're okay. Picture the environment that you walk into where they're trying to see how they can 
help you and accommodate you and make your visit pleasurable. What a splendid environment. And I'm not taking an offering. I'm not asking for money. I'm not even asking for any extra time. I'm simply asking this church, put yourself in someone else's shoes and show Jesus to them. Then we'll be an other's first church. Can you stand to your feet, please? To whom much is given, the Bible says, much is required, and I've been given a whole bunch. What he has given to me, freely he's given, freely I want to give that. I want to be kind and considerate, and I know as soon as we're done here, Brother Bland, you're not, I trust me, I'm going to have my own altar call. These are hard things to teach for me, but we've got to be like Jesus. That's what we want to be, to be like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in so many ways, and your word is so alive and powerful that teaches us such incredible life and practical lessons even. Lord, and I know one way that, again, it's not easy, but it's so simple to be like you. It's just (laughs) you gave. That's what you did. You showed love to whomever and everywhere you went. You, You had time for people even says, let the little kids come to me. Lord, you, you took time for children. You took time for the hurting, the, the, the outcasts, those that the society had kicked down. You took time for them, Jesus. And I pray we would do that as your church. Help us, oh God, to put these things in the forefront of our mind, to make intentional strides, to be like you, and to see others first. Bless each one, I pray.